This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. One of our treasured family videos is of Cannon before he could correctly say all of his words. Cannon is our youngest son, he's now 10. And I, I shot the video on my phone attempting to teach him to say the word lemonade. He was wearing a deep blue t-shirt and a diaper, his hair was disheveled and he had that sleepy Saturday morning kid kind of look in his eyes. And I said, Cannon, say Lemonade. And he said, Lemonade. I said it slower. Lemonade. Again, he replied, Lemonade. And this continued a few more times with no apparent progress. And so I tried a different approach. I thought I would break it down into two words for him. Cannon say, Lemon. He says, Lemon. Now say, Aid, aid, he replied. And then I exaggerated the words as I put them back together. Lemonade, he replied. Lemonade. <laughs> and then he said as he laughed from exhaustion, I can't say lemonade. <laughs> he could hear my words just fine. He just couldn't do what I was saying. As we've journeyed through these Ten Commandments, I wonder if you've felt as if you were hearing the words of God, but you also realize you can't do what he's saying. The first four commandments I described as a little book of Christian worship. They teach us to love the Lord our God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, but none of us have done that. The second table may be described as a little book on the Christian life, but none of us, again, have loved one another perfectly. To make matters worse, there are no fig leaves that we could reach for to help hide our sin and shame as we're exposed by the light of God's Word. So maybe you feel like I do, sometimes saying back to God, I can't say limolade. And I believe this is exactly what the law is meant to do. It's often explained how the law is a curb that helps us deter us from sinning against God. The law is a mirror that reflects the glorious holiness of God. The law is a guide that instructs us how to live as the people of God. Yet the law is also a sign that points to a glorious Savior. Each of these commands are meant to make us painfully aware of our need for grace. To demonstrate our need for forgiveness. To show us we need someone who can fulfill the law's just demands. The law is a sign that points to the Savior. When I saw the Eighth Commandment approaching on the horizon with the full force of its four words, you shall not steal, I wondered, well, 
how am I going to preach a 30-minute sermon? Something that feels so straightforward and easy as that. Well, how foolish I was. I could give you some nationwide statistics that would prove to be insightful and reveal just how prevalent the sin of stealing is in our day. But over the last month, I've experienced firsthand how relevant this command is to our lives. Three weeks ago, I was in Houston with a group of 10 Baptist pastors from around the state of Texas. And as we came out of a restaurant after having dinner together, a friend of mine who's a pastor in Brownsboro turned the key to his truck, and it sounded like a rocket was about to launch. During dinner, someone had snuck under his truck and sawzawed off all four of his catalytic converters. Has it happened to anyone else in this room? Yeah. Well, then we stayed at the same hotel that night, and at some point, under darkness of cover, someone snuck into the parking lot, and the pastor of First Baptist Mansfield, another friend of mine, had his truck completely stolen. Ten of us, two of us were robbed in one night. Uh, still, someone is impersonating me even right now on social media, and so they're messaging people that I know asking for money for an orphanage in Africa, promising that if you give to this, the Lord will make you rich. One, that's not me. Two, that's not true. <clears throat> two weeks ago, a church member had someone break into their home in the middle of the night. Uh, he's fine. Nothing was taken. And still this last week, a dear parent's friends, our dear friend's parents, had a great sum of money stolen through lies and manipulation from them. I've felt firsthand that we need a retrieval of the Eighth Commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, prohibits us from taking anything from anyone that has not come to us from the gracious hand of God. Specifically, we're taught not to grasp for gifts that God has given to another person. While this command may seem straightforward enough, we'll need to look at its wider implications and prayerfully come face to face once again with our need for the Savior. And this is exactly where God wants us, dependent for Him. I have used all of my creative energies to title this sermon, You Shall Not Steal. And I want to look at it from two angles. First, the sin of stealing. And second, the gain of giving. The sin of stealing and the gain of giving. Let me encourage you to stand to your feet for perhaps the shortest reading of God's holy and inerrant word we will ever read together. But we stand for every word God has spoken, even though they are few. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15 says, You shall not steal. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The first vantage point of this command, we will see the sin of stealing. This is the third consecutive command that has not been accompanied by any commentary that explains it in any way. The major chord section of these Ten Commandments are each only two words, a negative followed by an imperfect verb. What we read as you shall not steal 
in Hebrew is two words, lo ganab, which literally means don't carry things away. It signifies running off with something that belongs to another secretly and without consent. The word is most often used in Scripture to describe any, uh, the taking of any possession that belongs to someone else. Notice how the command doesn't specify who not to steal from, what not to steal, where or when not to steal, how not to steal. It doesn't even state the reason why. There's no object, object given to the instruction at all. And the reason it doesn't tell us who, what, when, where, how, or why you shouldn't steal is because this is a comprehensive command. Don't do it. The thief of Exodus 2015 is not a Halloween costume that comes complete with a black mask and a flashlight. It applies to thieves of all sorts. Some thieves break into homes in the middle of the night to in search of big screen TVs or leave department stores with new merchandise hidden in their clothing, but some thieves look just like you and me. So may I ask, what kind of thief are you? What kind of thief are you? Some people steal from their employer by taking a few things from work that their kids need or padding their expense account to purchase personal things or by doing personal things on company time. It's estimated that our nation loses $40 billion a year from being robbed, not by customers or um, burglars, but by employees alone, $40 billion. Other ways to break this command are, they're petty. Uh, stealing from a place of business by ordering water and pouring a Coke. If you're new to this great state of Texas, we refer to every soft drink as Coke. We know it's called Dr. Pepper, we call it Coke. Or seeing two movies on the same ticket, or swiping a pillow from a hotel room. Still others are breaking this command by lying to the IRS about their taxes, which attributes to $20 billion lost every year. Or even stealing the reputation of someone by defaming their character. From something as small as not returning something that you have, quote, borrowed from a friend, to global-scale embezzlement, any act of stealing is a sin against God. And uniquely against his providence, Ligon Duncan explains it like this. The Old Testament teaching indicates that because the believer trusts in the providence of God and trusts in his kind provision for us in all things, so also we will refuse to take what is not ours from others. Stealing is a sin against God's providence. It is a sign that you don't trust that God will provide for you. It is a sin against the image of God in man because it does harm to a person created in the image of God. And it is a sin against the community because it hurts the whole community. Dr. Duncan is careful to show us that there is no such thing as a victimless crime. Every act of stealing is a crime against another person made in the image of God and further is a crime against God himself. 
instead of believing James 1.17 that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, we think, well, since the Father of lights didn't give me what I want, I will play God and take it myself. Ultimately, this commandment recognizes that the Lord owns everything in heaven and earth. And it is only the Lord who has the authority to give and the authority to take it away. And in all things we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. What I'd like to do is provide some categories that I trust will give us some deeper insight into perhaps what's not evident on a first reading. Since no specifics of stealing are stated, what I'd like to do is explore a few personal matters that stealing touches. First, I want to show you that stealing is a matter of obedience. Very simply, we should not steal because God said so. This command shows us it is God who ordained the right to personal property and God who gave laws to protect personal property. There's a wide scope to this command to protect all things. And like a Baptist, I've alliterated them all with the letter P. First includes the stealing of people. While execution, the taking of life, is not the penalty for stealing man-made things in the Bible, it is the penalty for stealing another man, stealing another person. Exodus 21.16 says, If you kidnap a person, you will be put to death. So people. It also applies to property. Exodus 22 explains, if you steal someone else's property, you don't merely have to replace what you stole. You have to go above and beyond. It's not just getting the person you've sinned against back to where they were, but either doubling or tripling or quadrupling what they had. God gave these laws to warn against the sin of stealing, to teach them it doesn't pay. Crime doesn't pay. So it applies to property. Also to profit by nefarious means when it comes to integrity in our business practices that's what's in view here proverbs chapter 11 verse 1 says a false balance is an abomination to the lord but a just weight is his delight what scripture is teaching us there is we must be people of integrity in business including how we obey the eighth commandment in it of course this also applies to plagiarism when it comes to intellectual property, or kids, when you're taking a test, students, if you cheat on an exam, on a paper, you're stealing someone else's idea and claiming it as your own. Uh, if you do this in a business meeting, uh, stealing the idea of a coworker as if it was your own, you're also breaking the Eighth Commandment. It's a form of plagiarism. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11 says, You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. Scripture commands us to obey God's word in all areas of our life. Second, stealing is a matter of discipleship. As we turn the page to the New Testament, you'll hear the continuity of how Scripture speaks of stealing. And I want you to see how in the letters he wrote, the Apostle Paul made the subjects of stealing and working a part of growth as a disciple of Jesus. He writes to the Ephesians, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
That's Ephesians 4.28. Then we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, through 11, explains how Paul expected the gospel to transform lives, specifically in regard to working and stealing. I'll begin reading in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Do you see how honest Paul is about their past sin? He doesn't sugarcoat it or soft hand it. He just lays out this list of sins and then says to the church, some of you were just like this. Some of you were these things. And some of you were so greedy that you've lied in a sales pitch about the effectiveness of your product or your service. Others of you have swindled your friends and even your family in order to get what you wanted. Some of you have stolen things that did not belong to you. And as a result of these things, we read that we are not able to inherit the kingdom of God. It's bad news. But that's not the end. Do you see this word in verse 11? But. And now comes the good news. The gospel news. Christian, you have been washed clean of all the things that you've done wrong. Including stealing. You have been sanctified, made clean, something that you were not on your own, called holy. You were justified. All your crimes, they are as none. They've been paid for in full by the blood of Christ. How did this miracle happen? Paul tells us, through the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Charles Church, you are not who you were. All because of Jesus. Christians are not called to steal as a matter of discipleship. And ultimately, stealing is a matter of worship. Most of us would never consider that we would steal from God, but neither did our ancestors at the time of Malachi. They were shocked when the prophet accused them of robbing God. How have we robbed God, they asked. And God told them, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 to 10, in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. One of the ways that Christians steal from God and also refuse to show we trust in His divine providence is by giving so little of what He has given us back to the Lord. 
particularly here in tithes and offerings. A tithe, biblically speaking, is 10% of our income, and that's a helpful guideline for Christian giving. But in the New Testament, notice, remember how Jesus has deepened and turned all of these laws on their head so they sink into our hearts. What the New Testament teaches us is that God is not demanding just 10% of our income, but 100% of what we've been given belongs to him. You and I are just stewards of what he's given to us. And so we also rob God in not giving. So stealing, you see, is a matter of obedience to God's word. It's also a matter of our own discipleship, growing in Christ, and ultimately it is an issue of worship. Now, as you took a first glance at this command, maybe it was the first one on the list that you were just like, whew, I'm going to get through today. Yet when we understand the reach of this command, I'm afraid that none of us have obeyed this one either. Who is the person who has never taken something that was not given to them by the gracious hand of God, but something we grasped for, like the hand of Eve reached for that forbidden fruit? Today, if you are grasping any expression of stealing from the small to the great, I just want to encourage us to lay those things down together, to confess our sin to the Lord for what we've done and left undone, to call on Christ for forgiveness and seek to honor him, to obey his command as an act of obedience, as an, as, as an expression of our own discipleship and ultimately as an act of worship. We've seen the sin of stealing The second way we'll look at this command is through the gain of giving. The gain of giving? Doesn't that seem backwards? When you give to someone, you lose the thing you have. Isn't that right? Oh, but not with Jesus. The economics of the gospel are backward. The economy of God is all kinds of upside down. Each week we've noted how these ten words are not just meant to be taken at face value, but how Jesus transforms and deepens these commands to work through our hearts, to change our lives. And this command is stated negatively, but it is meant to be seen as a positive word spoken into the lives of God's people, meant for human flourishing, for your flourishing. I love how the Heidelberg Catechism both presents the question and the answer on what we should do with this command. This was written in 1563. Question 111 asks, what does God require of you in this commandment? We've seen in the first point what God forbids in this commandment. Now I want to ask this question along with the Heidelberg Catechism. What does it require of us? The answer, that I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. I love that answer. How that applies to this eighth commandment. What I want to do is just briefly pull apart this answer and find some ways that we are called to live in light of this command. The first is to act graciously. This is the first response to this passage, to act graciously. We learned that the second half of the Ten Commandments are teaching us to love our neighbor as ourself. 
And here, it is as clearly as can be seen. We learn that we are to do whatever we can for our neighbor. Notice the language of the golden rule. Kids, you probably have already heard this. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. That's the passage this comes from. Where Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. How many of you have heard that before? Okay, but then notice how he summarizes all of the law with his commands. For this is the law and the prophets. So with that summary statement, Jesus takes the sum of the law and says, this is it. Love each other. Act graciously to each other. It's not enough for the Christian just to not steal, but to be a blessing to those around us, to bring life and joy and hope to those around us. Act graciously with our actions with our affections. Second, the second response, to work faithfully. Work faithfully. The catechism says that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. I want to circle our thoughts on work faithfully. And there are three passages I'd like to read, all from the Apostle Paul, instructing Christians how to work This is giving us just a very brief sketch of a theology of work. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says, Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So there Paul's instructing us how we should work, making a living, providing for ourselves, not stealing things, but earning what we have. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. There again, a different letter to the same church. Paul's telling them to work heartily, to not be filled with idleness, not busybodies, but busy at work, earning, providing. The Lord provides for his people through their working. And then finally, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Many of you will know this passage already. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. How many of you, you, know, you have a parent that told you that when you had your first job and that you hated? Or when you mumbled about going to clean up your room? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Paul continues in verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Work faithfully. By God's grace, uh, I know so many of you do this. You glorify God in your work, in the way that you manage your employees, in the way you steward your budget, in the way that you uh, contribute to the team that you serve on. We need more of that. People who work faithfully under the Lord. And by this, Christ is glorified. Not just by the lips of, of, of his people telling them what a savior he is, but by their lives proving it by how we work by our integrity in the workplace. 
And then finally, to share generously. Notice all this hard work is not so we can pad our bank account and keep everything for ourselves, but that we might be a blessing to others. I thought immediately of Psalm 67, which begins, may God be gracious to us and bless us. There's the prayer. God, as we work, be gracious to us, bless us, make your face shine upon us. Why? So that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. And there you have this this understanding of when God blesses us, not to hoard things, but to generously share things. Not to be closed-handed, but open-handed, both to the Lord and to our neighbors in need. I love how John Wesley summarized this biblical theology about money and generosity. This is from a sermon he preached. He said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. So let me ask, what, what role does acting graciously play in your own discipleship? What does working faithfully look like in your life right now? And are you sharing generously all that God has entrusted to you? Every good gift and every perfect gift that he has given to you. As we look at this passage today, I wanted us to feel first the force and the weight of the eighth command. And then I wanted us to experience how it reached into our lives But ultimately, I want to show you how this points to our Savior. As we have seen, none of us have fulfilled the law. We need someone who could. And so this morning, let me remind a room full of thieves that Jesus Christ died in the place of thieves and also hanging between two thieves. The scripture says that when Jesus was crucified, two robbers, robbers, were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. This is to fulfill the words of scripture written in Isaiah 53 that said the Savior would be numbered with the transgressors. And I cannot do better than how Professor Michael Horton summarized this when he wrote, all of it takes place for us to be guilty of theft is one misspent hour at work, one item we forgot to return from the office, one personal long-distance phone call we made at the company's expense, one overpriced item in our store. We see our sinless Lord crucified for thieves, not unlike the one hanging next to him. Here was one person who never took what what did not belong to him and who fulfilled all his obligations and paid debts he did not owe Yet he hangs here next to a common thief, bearing his shame and guilt before God as though he had committed the crime. The thief crucified next to our Lord may have experienced the wrath of Rome that dark Friday afternoon. But because of the crucifixion of a man just feet from him, he would not have to endure the wrath of heaven. All thieves who trust in Christ can experience to hear those same words on their deathbed from the spotless lamb. Today, you will be with me in paradise. What kind of thief are you? There were two thieves strung up by our Savior that day. One that looked over to the sinless lamb, placing his faith in him, 
and his sins were forgiven. The other rejected Jesus of Nazareth and died in his sins and now is in hell for an eternity separated from the presence of God. Both thieves, one punished and one entered into paradise. Today, if you've not repented of your sin and looked to the Lamb, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Humble yourself before him. He is slow to anger and rich in love. He's the one who takes common criminals and crowns them sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for each of us who are in Christ that we have been washed, sanctified, justified, made right with a holy God through the blood of the Lamb. I pray that you would bless us, but not for our own sake, but so that your name may be known among the nations. And I pray for anyone whose hands are guilty with stealing this morning, that you would grant them humility and contrition to turn to you, to repent of sin, and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.